There's things like writing in pencil and doing an exam in computer science, like writing code on a piece of paper. I write code in an editor and, and that's my medium for me to do my work. So why do we try to force professionals and aspiring professionals into using some outdated modality that doesn't allow them to harness the power of the tools that they're actually going to use in the field. My name is Ish Bade, and I'm the founder and CEO of Virtually. And this is Reshaping Education, where we discuss boot camps, online education, and how the internet is changing how we learn. Hey, everybody. Ish here today, joined by Dan Pickett, founder of Launch Academy. Dan, so great to have you on the podcast today. Would you be able to introduce yourself real quick? Yeah, it's awesome to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm a, a classically trained software engineer by uh, trade, and I've kind of uh, found my place helping develop developers at Launch Academy. So it's been a, a rewarding run and really excited to talk about how we're changing education and how we're uh, really ultimately changing lives, which is what business we're in, which is fun. Yeah, which is very apt for the podcast, Reshaping Education. And uh I, it's funny you mentioned like developing developers. It's like how internally at virtually we talk about DevOps, the machine that builds the machine. And in so many ways, that's exactly what education is. So with that, one of the things we love to start off these episodes with is a quick history lesson. We've, at this point, we've talked to dozens of leaders in the space and we've all agreed that like the start of this like revolution really starts around 2011. There's a Hacker News post that goes up. Sharif, who who basically offers to teach some people to code for free uh, using recruiting freeze fees, that eventually turns into Dev Bootcamp, which launches Hack Reactor, Hack Bright, and App Academy. And then from there, the rest is history. We start seeing bootcamps pop over all over the world, including Launch Academy. So tell us where you were, I guess, in kind of the early 2010s and what eventually led you to the founding of Launch Academy? Yeah, oh man, that takes me back to the dev bootcamp days and seeing sort of everybody come together and, and start to launch careers this way. But so in 2010-ish, I was running a small software development consultancy here in Boston. And we specialized in helping early stage entrepreneurs and post-money startups really determine what they absolutely needed to build to get to their next level, their next stage. And for me, I love to get into a room with these individuals and really get at the core uh, of the problem that they're trying to solve. So we became really well known for delivering effective software where we really negotiated hard on requirements to say, do you really need that feature? And get people to really hone in on what they needed to validate their product. So it was a lot of fun. And what ended up happening was we were, we were pretty lucky. I, I wouldn't say lucky, but we were discerning enough to pick up on the uh, popularity of Ruby on Rails, which was uh, an emerging framework. I'd say all the way back to 2006, I started playing with it. So we became uh, pretty authoritative in delivering these like lean and mean products and proofs of concepts with the Ruby on Rails framework. And for me, what, what was happening as we were progressing as this small niche agency was we kept coming up against the same competitors in our proposals and uh, in our exploration of a partnership with client companies. 
And we looked like everyone else, right? There, there was so much philosophically that made uh, us very similar to other agencies in the space. And so me being an entrepreneur, really, I was trying to figure out, okay, what's the blue ocean, right? Where can we go to be different from everybody else in the space? And we had done some professional training engagements and we'd been involved with a wonderful organization called RailsBridge that helps people uninitiated to code sort of start dabbling and playing with software engineering. And we're like, we really like this teaching thing. Uh, there was about five or six of us uh, at the time. And maybe we kind of pivot to being more of a training and in, in, in professional development type organization. Uh, so I started looking at that model and that a possibility. And my early idea was to start working with, say, operating systems developers or there are folks that still work on mainframes, right? That are, are working with super outdated technology. Can we work with recruiters and say, okay, let's reskill these individuals, refresh their skills with new programming languages and technologies to make them more marketable and give them more salary upside in the space. And it turned out pretty early on in my customer de development, I learned that recruiters would have no interest in that. So it was back to the drawing board and I was very con convinced that we needed to productize what we were doing. And actually, I would say historically with the code school space, Jeff Casimir of what was known then as Jumpstart Labs, really for me was the pioneer and the inspiration for a lot of what we were doing. If you remember, he did a collaboration with Living Social and basically told Living Social that he would bring in 12 engineers teach them from the ground up, teach them everything he knew and, and basically outplace them into living social. And that was where that, that model came to life for me. And I was experimenting in that direction and working with directors of engineering, VPs of engineering to start frame out, framing out some kind of offering like that. And that was when I met my business partner, Evan. We actually met and were connected through a friend of mine at RailsBridge. And, uh, and that's how Launch Academy got started was he was actually considering attending a program and I was interested in pivoting to this education industry and vertical. Uh, so it was a match of in heaven and we really just aligned in values and perspective on what we wanted to build. And so we, we founded the company, I think in, in August of 2012, I think was when we started really looking at it in earnest. Yeah. Wow. That's very early in, in terms of this like revolution. And one thing that I'd love to hear is walk us through the journey of founding that very first cohort. That's, I think, a pretty big milestone. Drawing in your first student and getting them to take a bet on you. And then walk us to the moment where it clicked for you that this was really working. And I wonder if it was like short after, years after, who knows. But I think those are two pretty... Uh, big milestones that every company goes through? Yeah, great questions. So I, I think we were the significant beneficiaries of my reputation uh, in the tech industry, where a number of our initial students actually were former clients or somewhat tangentially related to the consultancy. I'd say three or four of our inaugural students came from that perspective. And then certainly my experience in both teaching and building with the technologies that we were teaching was uh, a big deal. But 
ultimately what it came down to was selling a vision and articulating what we felt would be the most effective way for someone to learn software engineering and immerse themselves in code. And I think what we were able to do was have conversations with folks, given it was such an early time in the space, we're talking September to February of September of 2012 to uh, February of 2013, where we were conducting these interviews. And so no one really had a concept of what a bootcamp or accelerated learning program was at the time. So we were able to paint a picture, right, of what our vision was and what we thought was going to work. And every interview that we had and every kind of conversation that we had, we were able to tweak the vision based on the feedback from the students. And ultimately, I give that first cohort so much credit because they did so much of the work, so much of the work. And, and to answer your question around preparedness and when it felt like it was clicking, I don't think it was that first cohort. I think there was a lot that we didn't yet know we didn't know. And we did a great job of teaching people the skills and in helping them grow as engineers. But I don't think that we truly hit stride until our, our third cohort. And I attribute a hiring partner at the time, a gentleman from um, still hiring partner today, uh, Smartleaf. We had a pretty early on in the first cohort, because of some of my imposter syndrome, uh, never like formally been in uh, education, felt like we would benefit from somebody that has some experience. So we had that person in and I think, unfortunately he had us, gave us a little bit of, t we got a little distracted and we, became more conservative in our delivery model and more like traditional education than what Evan and I were envisioning. And I think what ended up happening was so we had tables in nice neat rows and there were, it looked like a very much like a computer lab at like my alma mater WPI or, or somewhere like that. And I'll never forget it, that the hiring manager walks in, he's like, wait a minute, I, I thought you guys said you were doing non-traditional education. This looks pretty traditional to me. And it was at that moment, there was this light bulb that uh, went off that, wow, we really deviated from the vision that we ultimately had sold those first students on and got people really excited about. And so we returned to a lot of those initial first principles and got more confident that those were going to work. Things like really encouraging pair programming, really doubling down on a flipped classroom approach really embracing a challenge-based learning model. We were doing way too much talking, way too much facilitation, and there wasn't enough kinesthetic learning in the experience. So we, with the validation that we were onto something in those first two cohorts, I think we had the confidence to then realize that, yeah, we could live more true to that original vision, which made, for me, that third cohort particularly special. Yeah. Why was it important to be non-traditional? What were, what were the weaknesses that you guys saw with traditional software engineer training that you guys wanted to disrupt or flip on its head? Yeah, it was really interesting for me and unique, I think, because I was a practicing consultant and an undergrad in a computer science program at the same time. And so being able to see what skills were truly necessary in the working world as a practicing software engineer against what I was learning at a reputable and an awesome a university. Being able to compare and contrast 
really gave me a mental model for, hey, if I could do this thing on my own, right, and, and build a computer science program, here are the aspects of my computer science education that I would integrate into that experience. And here's what I would take away and here's what I would add to it. And for me, there's so much metacognitive work that occurs in college where you're learning how to learn and you're often learning how to learn under challenging circumstances that are challenging just for the sake of being challenging, not necessarily that the uh, knowledge is immediately valuable and practical in what you're going to be using in the day to day. And so what we aim to do is really try to eliminate some of that, particularly in the computer science space where there's a lot of accredited coursework that's irrelevant to uh, today's software engineering. So we're able to remove a lot of that cruft. And then I think there's things like writing in pencil and doing an exam in computer science, like writing code on a piece of paper. Why do we do that? Like the work is in front of a computer, typing keys and running the editor and making sure that your tools are working for you just as much as your brain is, right? So we just recognize stuff like that. That was like, why do they do that that way? And in in where one of our big philosophies and in, in cliches is practice like you play, right? If we're truly building professional proficiency in skill, then all of the education should as closely resemble or simulate what it is to be a professional in the space. I don't write syntax on pieces of paper. I don't write syntax on whiteboards. Another sort of contentious area uh, in our software development community. It's funny. I remember being a graduate student instructor, being on both sides of this, I guess being the student having to write code on a, on a, a computer science exam, but then also being like the graduate student instructor grading it. And it was, it just, it, you're totally right. I like, it didn't dawn on to me until you just said it. It's just that that feels so counterintuitive. I write code in an editor and, and that's my medium for me to do my work. So why do we try to force professionals and aspiring professionals into using some outdated modality that doesn't allow them to harness the power of the tools that they're actually going to use in the field. Yeah. And I think one of the sad parts here is then what ends up happening is so much of what you learn, and this is probably my biggest gripe with kind of university education is so much of that is wasted, right? In our previous episode with Brian Belfort of Reforge, we were talking about educational efficiency and this idea of what percentage of what you actually learn can you actually apply it to your day-to-day -day job? And we have some statistics to show that it's actually very low, only about a 27%, so about a quarter of college students will even use the degree that they got in college. But you have to imagine the people who are using their degree, what percent of what they learned are they actually utilizing? I was also a software engineer, um, a computer science major in college, and my first job out of school was at Facebook. And to be honest, I spent maybe less than 5% of when I... Uh, learning college at Facebook. And so much of it was actually, okay, I, I know the fundamentals, but I had to completely relearn all the tools, the infrastructure, even the programming language. And so it almost felt like my education actually happened those first two years of industry rather than in school. And now there's this big problem with that when there's hiring, when you're hiring software engineers and specifically junior engineers, as a company, you know that you're going to be spending a huge amount of resources training your junior engineers rather than having them be able to contribute from day one. And what's interesting is 
we've actually hired quite a bit of bootcamp grads. Actually, two thirds of our engineering team is bootcamp grads. And that's not the case. You can see them deliver impact from day one. And I think it comes down to what you're talking about here, which is like, it was practice like you play. I got that right. That's right. <laughs> yep. And, and I think too, what is so interesting about that phenomenon is there aren't as much of these poorly ingrained habits that might form in a traditional computer science program. So I think that there's more of a push to take a, a holistic kind of almost waterfall-esque approach to architecting a solution. Whereas I think boot camps and boot camp grads really embrace this idea of advance the cause incrementally and try to get a little further along, then go and ask for help and make progress and build a, a momentum and inertia that way. And that's super valuable to companies, right? Because they don't want a three-month or six-month feedback loop on whether this team member is going to be able to meaningfully contribute to their team. So I think that's a meaningful value proposition for code schools and code school graduates in the sense that they know that they're there to deliver business value and that needs to be done in the first month at a minimum, first month of their tenure. 100%. And the another part of here is also how the education you're getting is so relevant. You're not learning, you know, how to write assembly, C++. Like I remember doing my sophomore year of college, you learn React, you learn Ruby on Rails, like things that you're actually going to use. And when I was perusing your guys' website, one of the things you guys call out in terms of how you guys differentiate with other boot camps is you talk about real-time market-driven curriculum. Now, that is a really important thing to have because I think we're in an era where things are changing so quickly. If you're not able to be responsive to the market, your curriculum just so quickly goes out of date. But I want to understand, how does that actually work? Like, how are you guys able to stay responsive when things are changing so quickly? That's a great question. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from being software engineers. And, and that's what I try to do in the design of the program and the company is how can we take agile software engineering principles and apply them to education? And for us, our quarters, our cohorts are iterations. And every quarter and every three months, we have what's called an off season, which is usually two weeks or three weeks after the program. And you can think of it almost in the form of a, what's known as an agile retrospective, where at the end of the course, we sit down and we review, we actually do a half day long exercise of what went well? What do we want to take away? What do we want to add? What did students struggle with most? So there's that sort of agile approach to education that I think makes our program super special. But the, the other sort of ingredient to that recipe is we're getting immediate feedback from the hiring partners and the hiring network about how our grads are stacking up against computer science degree candidates other boot camp graduates. So we're able to assimilate all that feedback into the retrospective and say, okay, what changes do we ultimately want to make? And I'm proud to share that our curriculum has meaningfully changed and in, in adapted over the course of our history. When we started out, we were exclusively a Ruby on Rails program. And we taught maybe a little bit of JavaScript. This is back in, in 2013. Now we've evolved. Thankfully, we, we made a really sound technology choice and invested heavily in React. 
But then we brought React into the fold after introducing a significant amount of JavaScript into the program over time. And now, for better or worse, and this is probably another subject of conversation, is students seem to have the perception or prospective students seem to have the perception that a Ruby on Rails is no longer in demand. So now we're moving to a fully Node.js in React program. Right now we rotate. So we're doing Ruby on Rails, React one quarter, then we're doing Node.js and React another quarter. And we're slowly progressing towards being exclusively Node.js and React. Yeah. Wow. Dan, it's funny you bring up this kind of agile development for education because I actually wrote a blog post exactly about this topic. At, and it's just this idea of how in the age of the internet, educators need to be adaptive to the changes that are happening in industry. And you just don't see that in traditional education. Boot camps is the first place where you're seeing this at such scale. It's really exciting to see this paradigm shift. I am curious though, given this, uh, going on this kind of agile train, one of the things I'm also curious about is how you guess them about student success. There's, there's one thing about obviously creating the right curriculum, but then making sure that students are engaged throughout the entire process so that they're ultimately successful in their initial goals, whether that's landing a job or something else, that's ultimately the responsibility of, of a boot camp and, and, ult- and usually any educational institution. So how do you guys build in systems to very closely monitor that student progress? And then how do you intervene when a student is off track and get them back on track? I think this is another area where uh, we can be innovative. We're a small, uh, nimble company. We don't need approval to implement and alter our interventional processes. So I can talk a little bit more about that. But I think the way in which we measure, I'm a total qualitative data nerd and in most of the team at launches as well, where I think our program really shines and where we're well-respected in the New England area, uh, a place that I think holds high academic integrity in high esteem, right, is that we don't just push people through the program. We have uh, weekly systems checks that each student has to complete. That is effectively a project-based assessment. So there's, it's a challenge in a project-based assessment that has criteria for meeting expectations and exceeding expectations. Uh, And we grade on a rubric according to that. And this starts in Ignition, our our virtual eight-week pre-learning program. And by far, the leading indicator of success is how those individuals do in those first few Ignition systems checks. And what we do is we look at, uh, okay, who are the uh, folks that did not meet expectations in the first week or second week of Ignition? We have an immediate interventional conversation with those folks. And the conversation is not about the tech. It's entirely metacognitive, right? Are you blocking off the time to do the work? What's your study environment like? How are you approaching the material? Are you just like watching videos and reading the material or you're actually putting fingers on keys? Okay, how are you going about solving the challenge? Are you decomposing the problem? Are you writing pseudocode? Are you solving small pieces of the problem at a time, right? There's different strategies that we can deploy in those interventional conversations. And I'm proud to share that Oftentimes, students are able to turn it around in just that initial intervention. But those system checks serve as our feedback loop of how the students in the cohort overall is assimilating the learning outcomes. Yeah. Tell me more about these system checks. Like, what are the inputs that are informing that somebody is off track? What's the data that's going in? 
Sorry, I'm a, I geek out about this stuff as well. So it's a project-based assessment that requires the students to assimilate the main learning outcomes for that week. The first six weeks of our immersive program and the uh, eight weeks of our pre-learning ignition program, they have a theme, right? So one of our weeks is beginner react. And a learning outcome for that might be able to, uh, might be to build a system of components where properties are passed down to those smallest uh, component. So our system check has a specific requirement in the project-based assessment that requires them to deploy that learning outcome and assimilate that learning. What ends up happening is Monday through Thursday, when you're on site with us, is a full-time learning experience where you're taking one or two of those learning outcomes a day and really honing in on that. And then it builds on itself into Thursday. Then we review through, through a challenge that's very similar to the system check with the students. We go through that and answer any questions that students have to help them feel prepared for that system check. And then on Friday morning, their heads down, individually coding out their solution to the system check. And it is time boxed. We feel very strongly that you have to deliver on a timeline. And we where we realize that introduces a lot of pressure and anxiety for students. But again, what we're trying to do is simulate what the expectations are in the real world. And you are going to be able to, you are going to be expected to deliver software on a reasonable timeline. And that's what we try to do in structuring our system strike is to provide a reasonable timeline for completion. And so I think we, we supply three and a half hours. Some students will get them done in an hour and a half. Some students will take the full duration of the three and a half hours. And then we work really hard Friday afternoon to grade them. And the grade is commentary on the submission. But it's also, uh, if you're a software engineer, you may be familiar with pull request feedback, where you can comment line by line on each uh, piece of the code. It's, if you're not a software engineer, you can think of it like um, suggesting edits in a work, Word document or a Google Doc, where you're commenting contextually in the document on what's being produced. And, so students really appreciate that, particularly in Ignition, because you get some of that qualitative feedback in addition to the grade of maybe you're not following good coding conventions and that's you know creating a challenge for you. Or maybe you need to name your variables better, or maybe you're not considering this performance bound. There are things that can come up situationally in the code that we can comment on to help you grow and, and become a better engineer. Very cool. Very cool. Dan, we're reaching the end of our conversation and I want to just give you an opportunity to brag a little bit, actually. So... It's been, you know, 10 years in, in the making. Walk us through, I guess, what you guys have achieved. What are, how big are cohorts now? Like how many graduates have you placed? And what's the next big milestone for Launch Academy? Yeah, I, I think all the credit goes to our students. A thousand uh, careers launched through our program and, and through our history. And just like that first cohort, um, all of the students are, are doing the work and, and we're just helping them catalyze their success. And I think for us, what we're recognizing in the market is the need to really have that academic rigor in the program and to do more with less rather than trying to grow geographically and try to fill larger numbers uh, in, in terms of number of cohorts per year or number of students per cohort. Our focus is exclusively in software engineering and will continue to be exclusive to software engineering. That's what we know and that's what we love. And I think um, combining and going full circle with our software development consultancy, we really have a unique opportunity to match theory with practice. 
and integrate what we're learning as consultants. We do a lot of software development consulting too. We can take that and harness it and integrate it into the learning in the curriculum at launch. And eventually the goal, we're still early days on this, is to outplace our graduates from the bootcamp into consulting projects and client companies. And for me, I think hiring managers are starting to recognize that there is a gap between a bootcamp graduate and an effective mid-level engineer, right? And some companies are willing to make that investment and bridge that gap. And, and I applaud you, Ish, for, for doing that and our hiring partners for doing that. But there are some companies that just aren't equipped to do that kind of thing. And we believe that our consultancy can help companies bridge that gap. So when they close a round of funding or when that project gets greenlit, they can ramp up an engineering team very quickly without having to go the full like traditional recruiting route. Yeah. Wow. What a cool vision. Dan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Do you have any last minute plugs in terms of how the audience can learn more about Launch Academy or keep up with you on social media? Yeah. So I've been trying to be a little more active on Twitter. So you can follow me, dpicket, Twitter. We also have a YouTube channel, just Google uh, YouTube Launch Academy. But the best way to learn about us and our offering is to go to launchacademy.com. In the footer, there should be an opportunity for you to uh, supply your email and receive some of our newsletters. We've got a lot of great plans for 2022 into 2023. Hope you'll get in the loop and that I'll meet you someday soon. Amazing. Dan, thank you so much for coming on. This was a blast. Likewise. Thanks so much. If you enjoyed that episode, would really appreciate a review or a subscribe on the podcast player of your choice. It really helps us get the word out. With that, this is Ish signing off.